بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما أما بعد إن شاء الله tonight we will continue from where we left off earlier on the explanation of the life of the great Khalifa Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar ibn al-Khattab In our last lesson we spoke about how Umar ibn al-Khattab took the responsibility of taking care of all of the people under his command. He considered each individual as his own personal responsibility. So he made sure he took care of his people. And it was a heavy burden upon him to make sure that every single person is taken care of. From the people that he gave extra special attention to, to make sure that they were taken care of, were the families of the martyrs. Of course, during the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab there were many conquests. The Islamic lands grew to great proportions during the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab He conquered Persia. He conquered the lands of Asham. He conquered Egypt. So the lands of the Muslims grew in a great way during his Khilafah. So with so many conquests taking place and so many soldiers constantly on the battlefield, there were a lot of martyrs. And those martyrs left families behind. They left wives behind. They left children behind. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he understood the sacrifice that those people made. And he considered their families like his own family. He considered those children as if they were her, his own children and he made sure that he gave them special attention and that he took care of them. So they had a special place with Umar ibn al-Khattab and he considered it an amana upon his neck, a trust upon his neck that he would take care of those families. To illustrate this, once during the khilaf of Umar ibn al-Khattab he had sent Al-Ahnaf ibn Qais and some others on an expedition to Iraq, to Iraq and the lands of Persia. So Al-Ahnaf ibn Qais and those who were with him, they were successful in that expedition. They had victory in their battle and they returned back to Medina with a large amount of spoils of war. The Persians, they were very wealthy people. So whenever the Muslims would go for a conquest in Persia, they would come back with these huge spoils of war. And those spoils of war included gold, silver, other types of precious jewels, fabrics, food. Right? The spoils included all of these things. So Al-Ahnaf ibn Qais and the soldiers in this expedition, they were victorious and they came back with these huge spoils of war. And included in these spoils of war were some very exquisite fabrics, very exquisite, luxurious, premium clothing that the Arabs didn't generally wear. The Arabs, for the most part, they were, they were poor people. The Persians, they were very rich. And that could be seen 
and the different types of food that they ate. If you compare the food of the Arabs to the food of the Persians, there's a big difference. If you compare the food of the Arabs, if you compare the clothing of the Arabs to the clothing of the Persians, big difference, right? So when Al-Ahnaf ibn Qais and this group of soldiers that was with him, when they, when they collected these spoils of war, they saw these beautiful garments, these, these beautiful articles of clothing, and they wore some of that clothing on their way back to Medina, right? Very fine clothing. So they come back to Medina with these spoils of war as victors, right? They're victorious and they come back to Umar ibn al-Khattab and they're wearing, you know, this Persian clothing. And when they meet Umar ibn al-Khattab, they say, Assalamu alayka ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. And Umar doesn't, doesn't even look at them. He just like turns his face away from them. They're trying to talk to them. They're trying to talk to him, tell him about the battle, tell him about their victory, tell him that they collected all of these spoils. They, they're trying to share the good news with him. And Umar is acting as if they're not even there, completely ignoring them. So they're kind of bewildered by this, like, what happened? Like, why is he, why is he ignoring us? Why doesn't he even return our speech? You know, he doesn't even reply to what we're saying. So they were kind of confused. So they went to the son of Umar ibn Khattab, Abdullah ibn Umar. And Abdullah ibn Umar is perhaps the most well-known of the sons of Umar ibn Khattab. He was, he was a man of knowledge. He narrated many hadith from the Prophet Even though he was a young man, he was able to accumulate a great wealth of knowledge from the Prophet So he was a faqih, he was a man of understanding, a man of hadith. A man who was very strict in following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, even though he was a young man. So Al-Ahnaf ibn Qais and those soldiers who were with him, they go to Abdullah ibn Umar, the son of Umar, and they tell him how Umar is, is treating them. That, you know, we try to talk to him and he's not even acknowledging our existence. And then Abdullah, just by taking a look at them, they're still wearing these, these, these garments, these Persian garments. Just by looking at them, he knows exactly why his father isn't talking to them. He's saying, I know exactly why he's not talking to you. Because the clothing that you're wearing, he doesn't like this, that you're wearing this clothing. Because this is not the type of clothing that Rasulullah ever wore. And it's not the type of clothing that Abu Bakr ever wore. So he, he dislikes to see you in this clothing. So then they understood. They said, okay. They go home, they take those garments off and they wear their regular clothes. The clothes that, that they are known for. Then they go back to Umar ibn al-Khattab again. Let's try this again. They, they go back to Umar ibn al-Khattab again. And when he sees them now, as he's used to seeing them, then he goes to them and he says, Assalamu alaikum. He greets them very happily. He hugs each one of them individually as if he's meeting them for the first time. He gives them such a warm welcome and a warm reception now. Right? So now he's happy to see them. So then they tell him, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, we were victorious in the battle, alhamdulillah, and we bought back these spoils of war. And then Umar radiallahu anhu, he's very happy to see this, and he distributes it equally amongst them. And then he sees included in these spoils of war, there is a type of sweet. It's a very delicious sweet dish called khabis. Right? And the Persians, they were known for, for making this. And the smell was very nice. You could smell this, you know, the, 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 the greatness of this sweet. 
So Umar just to make sure that it's still okay and it's not spoiled, he just tasted it a little bit. And it was so delicious. It was like, it was, it was unlike anything that he had ever tried before. So after just taking a small taste of this, this beautiful dessert, this beautiful sweet, he said, Ya ma'ashar al-muhajireen wal-ansar. He addressed the people. O muhajireen and ansar, O Muslims. Ya ma'ashar al-muhajireen wal-ansar. That this food is so good that I'm afraid that children will kill their fathers and brothers will kill their brothers over this food. That's how good it is. Right? So he's just giving them an idea how delicious this food is, unlike anything that he's ever tried before. So what did he order to be done with that food? Did he keep a portion for himself? Did he distribute it amongst those people who were there? No. He ordered all of it should be taken and distributed to who? To the children of the shuhada, to the children of the martyrs. Those people who died in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and left behind children, left behind families, all this beautiful sweet, it should go only to them and no one else. And he didn't keep, even though the, the, the taste was so good, he didn't even keep any of it for himself. He made sure that all of it went to them. This shows you know that 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 he felt that this is a great responsibility on his on his shoulders that he has to make sure that these children are well taken care of so it went only to them this is the type of special treatment that umar ibn al-khattab radiyallahu anhu gave especially to the families of the martyrs another example of umar radiyallahu taking care of those families who sent members to fight in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He respected these families. You know, parents that will send their son in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wives that will send their husbands in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He respected these families and he wanted to make sure that these families are honored and taken care of. Another example of this is the story of Umayyah ibn al-Askar al-Kinani. Umayyah ibn al-Askar al-Kinani, he was a very well-respected leader in his tribe. And during the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab, during the Khilaf of Umar radiallahu anh, he moved his family to Medina. He settled in Medina with his family. And one day in Medina, Umayyah, and he's an elderly man, right? One day Umayyah, he, he runs into Talha and Az-Zubair radiallahu anhumah, two of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he runs into them and he asks them, Islam? What, are the, what is the best deed in Islam? What is the thing I can do, the best thing that I can do to gain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And Talha and Zubair, they said, Al-Jihadu fi sabilillah. The best thing that you can do is, is you know, fight in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab was, was a time of lots of conquests. So there was, there was a need for soldiers, for people who would fight in the way of Allah. So they said, Al-Jihad, this is the best thing that you can do. So Umayyah, he goes to Umar and he wants to enlist himself. He says, I want to, I want to fight in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Umar says, okay, you can join this group. You can join this regiment of the army, basically. So when the time came to actually deploy and go out and fight, Umayyah realized that Physically, he would not be able to handle it. He was not a young man. He was an elderly man. So he realized that, you know, I'm not, I'm not physically able to participate in fighting in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he realized it. Even though he wanted to go, he had the intention to go. He couldn't do it. 
So he told Umar bin Khattab like if it weren't for my old age, you know, I wish I could have gone. And the son of Umayyah, Kilab ibn Umayyah, his son Kilab, he heard this conversation between his father and Umar And then he offered himself. He's a young man. So he said to Umar the son of Umayyah, Kilab ibn Umayyah, he said to Umar, Lakinni ya Amir al Mu'minin, Abiullah nafsi, wa abiu dunyaya bi akhirati. He said, as for me, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, I'm young. My father is old. He can't go, but I would rather go. Let me go. I will sell myself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I will sell my dunya for the akhirah. I want the akhirah. I don't care about the dunya. So then the father of Kilab, you know, this is his son. And Kilab is very beloved to Umayyah. And Umayyah and his wife are elderly parents now, and you know, they, they depend on this son to take care of them. So he, he becomes afraid, Umayyah. He says, like, if you go, then you know, you're gonna leave me and your mother in such an old age, who's gonna take care of us? So he didn't want his son to go. But Kilab convinced his father. He kept telling him, like, you know, this is better for me. Finally, Umayyah, he agreed, and he said, okay, if you really want this, I give you permission. Bismillah, you can go. So Kilab, the son of Umayyah, went in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to fight in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, you know, his father, his mother, they were both sad that their son is not with them anymore. And they're, they're at, an, at a stage in life where, you know, they really depend upon their son. But they were patient upon this because they know that, you know, he went to do something that is very good and very pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So after this went on for a long time, they haven't seen their son now for a pretty long period of time. Now it's becoming more difficult upon the father, upon Umayyah. He's getting older. He's missing his son more and more. One day he sees a pigeon. And this pigeon has her children with it, the baby pigeons, walking in the streets of Medina. And he remembers his son. And he, he starts to cry. And he remembers my son Kilab. I miss my son Kilab. Right? And... He cried so much over a period of time that he lost his eyesight. He became blind. Similar to how Ya'qub became blind when he cried so much due to the loss of his son Yusuf right? When Yusuf was taken away from him. So Umayyah, the father of Kilab, he cried so much that eventually he became blind. And one day he asked to be taken to the masjid to meet with Amir al-Mu'mineen, to meet Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. So he's an old man, now he's blind, he's taken to the masjid to meet Umar radiallahu and he says to Umar radiallahu he says, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, my son, he has been gone for so long and you, has, you still haven't ordered for him to come back. And I have become so old, my wife has become so old, we're missing him so much and you still haven't called for him back. He, they basically he basically complained to Umar radiallahu like, why haven't you brought my son back yet? So Umar radiallahu he understood this, that you know, these, these, these parents, they need their son. So he sent an urgent messenger to go and to get Kilab. Go and find him and bring him back to Medina. Extract him from the war and bring him back to Medina so that he can come back to his parents. Right? So he wanted to honor these parents. But yes, they're missing their son. They deserve to see him and, and they need him. So he brought Kilab back. So Kilab was shocked. Like, why am I being taken out of the battlefield? 
what, what, is, what is the reason for this? So when he arrived back in Medina, when the son, Kilab, arrives back in Medina, even before visiting his parents, even before going to his parents, first he goes to Amirul Mu'mineen. He goes to Umar ibn Khattab to ask, like, what's going on? Why did you call me back? So when he enters upon Amirul Mu'mineen, Umar ibn Khattab Umar asks him, you know, before you left for jihad, when you used to stay with your parents, how good were you towards your parents? Give me an example of the, of the treatment that you gave to your parents. Were you a good son? And he said, yes. Kilab said, yes, I think I was a very good son. I tried to always honor my parents. I tried to respect them with the utmost respect, such to the extent that if my father ever said, I feel like drinking milk, then I would go out and I would look at the camels and I would see which camel had the biggest udder, like it's holding the most milk. I would find that camel and then I would go to it and I would let it relax for a while and then I would wash the udder with cold water so that the milk inside would become cold. I would wash it with cold water. Then I would milk the camel and the milk that would come out, fresh milk, it would be cold. Then I would come and I would present it to my father and my father would be refreshed with this fresh cold camel milk. That's how I used to honor my father. That's how I would honor my parents. So Umar was very happy to hear this. Then he called for Umayyah, the father of Kilab, to be brought to him. Umayyah is blind. He can't, he can't see. So he is brought to Umar And then Umar asks him, Ya Umayyah, Ya Aba Kilab, how are you today? And at this stage, Umayyah, you know, he has, he has no hope really that he's ever going to see his son again. So he's, he's really depressed. So Umayyah says to Umar radiallahu anhu, you know, I'm at a stage now that nothing can make me happy and nothing can make me sad. You know, you give me good news, it's not going to make me happy. You give me bad news, it's not going to make me sad. You know, I've basically given up on everything. That's, that's the level that his depression reached. So then Umar radiallahu anhu said, what is the thing that, that you would love to have the most today? And then he said, really nothing. Like I said, nothing can make me happy, nothing can make me sad. But Umar radiallahu anhu insisted, just tell me, if you could have one thing, what would you wish? He said, okay, if you insist, I, I wish that I could just see my son one more time and I can just smell him, his smell, and I can just give him a hug one more time before I die. That, that's my only wish. So Umar radiallahu anhu, upon hearing this from this old man, this old blind man, you know, the, the longing that he has for his son that he hasn't seen for so long, Umar radiallahu anhu, he started to cry. Then Umar radiallahu anhu, he went back to Kilab, the son. The father doesn't know that the son is back yet, right? So he goes to Kilab and he says, go and bring some milk from a camel, how, the same way like you used to do for your father before. So Kilab says, okay, he goes, he finds a camel that has a full udder, he washes it with cold water and he milks it. And he brings it in a bowl to Umar radiallahu anhu. So Umar radiallahu anhu takes the bowl and he gives it to Kilab. He gives it to the father of Kilab. He gives it to Umayyah. And Umayyah, he's blind. He can't see. But he takes the bowl in his hand and he says, Wallahi ya Amir al-Mu'mineen inni la'ashummu ra'ihata yaday Kilab. He said, Wallahi ya Amir al-Mu'mineen I can smell the smell of the hands of Kilab. I smell the smell of the hands of my son. And then Umar radiallahu anhu said, Yes, you are correct and your son is here. And he brought his son to him. 
And the father and the son, they hugged each other. They cried. Umar is crying. All the people around him, they're crying as well. You know, seeing this, this emotional scene of the father being reunited with the son, making this old man happy. Right? So after this, this, this reunion, Umar gives some parting advice to Kilab, to the son of Umayyah. He says, Ya Kilab, Ilzam abawaik fajahid fihima ma baqiya thumma sha'naka binafsika ba'dahuma. He said, As long as your parents are alive, then stay with them and your jihad is for them. You're not going out in the battlefield again while they are alive. Your jihad is now for your mother and your father as long as they are alive. Serve them, take care of their needs. Then after they pass away, if you are still around, then you do what you want. If you want to join the army again, if you want to go into jihad after that again, you know, you're free to do so. But while they're alive, you stay with them and you serve them. So Kilab understood this and he said, Yes, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. And he, he served his parents for the rest of their lives until they passed away. Right? So this is how Umar took care of families. You know, he's the head of state, but look, you know, he's taking care of individual families on an individual basis like this. Concern for each person. No, many heads of state would think that, you know, this is, this is too small of a matter for me personally to get involved in. But no, Umar he got involved even in these matters that would seem small to others. That is the level of responsibility that he took upon himself. Another example of Umar and his concern for the people, especially the military families. Once Umar, you know, as he would usually do in the nights, he would patrol the streets of Medina. You know, during the nights when people were in their homes, he would just walk around the streets, the different alleys of Medina to see if anyone had any problems. That, that is the level of, of responsibility that he took. You know, I have to personally go around the houses to see if anyone needs anything. So he would do that. And once he was outside a house and a woman was inside that house and he heard that woman saying some poetry and the meaning of that poetry, she was saying, you know, I wish my husband were here with me it's been so long, I haven't seen my husband. I'm so lonely without my husband. And if it weren't for my fear of Allah and my modesty and my respect and my honor for my husband, I, I would have fallen into something haram. I'm not going to do anything haram, but you know, if I didn't have fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I fear that I've been away from my husband for so long that I would have fallen into something bad. So Umar radiallahu anh hears her saying this. So he gets, he gets concerned, like, what's going on? What's, what's the issue with this woman? So he knocks on the door. And the woman, she doesn't open it, but she says, who is it? And he wants to test her, like, you know, will she open the door for a strange man or not? So he doesn't say who he is. He just says, just open the door. And then she says, no, I'm not going to open the door for some strange man. And then he insisted, open the door, open the door. He keeps knocking. And then she says, you know, I'm going to complain to Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar about you. And he's going he's gonna to punish you. And then he realizes she passed the test. She's not, she's not interested in doing anything haram. Alhamdulillah, she's not opening the door for any strange man. So then he reveals himself. He says, I am Umar. I am Amir al-Mu'mineen. Open the door. I want to see what your problem is. Let me see if I can help you. And she doesn't believe it's Umar. She says, you're not Amir al-Mu'mineen. He wouldn't be in the, you know, in the streets randomly going to people's houses in the night. You're not Amir al-Mu'mineen. And then Umar radiallahu anhu, he shouts a little louder. He says, yes, I am. I am Amir al-Mu'mineen. I am Umar. And when he shouts, she recognizes his voice. He had a very distinct voice. 
So she realizes this actually is Umar ibn Khattab. So then she opens the door. And then he asks her, what's your problem? What is the issue? What, what did I hear you talking about? And then she explains to him, Ya, ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, my husband is a soldier. He has been out fighting in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for so long. And you know, I, it's hard for me to remain patient without my husband for so long. So then he says, okay, don't worry, I'll take care of it. What is your husband's name and where was he sent? Which regiment was he sent with? So she tells the name and she tells where he was sent. Umar radiallahu anhu, immediately he dispatches a messenger to go there and to extract him from the battlefield and bring him back to his, to his wife. So the man arrives back in Medina and Umar radiallahu anhu tells him, go back, go back to your wife, she needs you. So he goes back to his wife. Then Umar radiallahu you know, this got him to think like, you know, there are so many women who are in the same boat as this woman that their husbands are gone in the battlefield and they may be missing their husbands like she has been missing her husband. So he goes to his own daughter, Umar radiallahu anhu, he wants to get a woman's perspective on this. So he goes to his own daughter, Hafsa radiallahu anha, and he asks her, Ya Hafsa, how long can a woman remain patient without her husband? And then Hafsa radiallahu anha, she advises her father, she says, you know, we can go without our husband for one month, for two months, for three months, for up to four months, but not more than four months. Then, you know, it, it's very hard to remain patient after four months. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, okay. And he issued a, an order that no soldier shall be in the battlefield for more than four months. Four months is the limit. If you have been out in jihad for four months, then you are ordered to come back and rejoin your family. So see how he takes care of the families. He understands the importance of family as well. The, you know, jihad is important. Fighting in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is important. Conquests, they're important. But the family structure is also important. You can't neglect one at the expense of the other. So he, he, he knew that he had to balance the rights of the families with the importance of fighting in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. So he, he, he figured out a way to take care of both of these responsibilities. This, this is the importance that he gave these issues. Also from the characteristics of Umar ibn Khattab is that he was always looking at ways to serve the needs of the society. Right? Social projects. And one of the most important social projects that, that was done in Medina during his time was the expansion of Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi. The expansion of the Masjid of Rasulullah in Medina. During the time of the Prophet it was not very big area-wise. Right? So Umar you know, with, with, with the population increasing and the Muslim lands increasing, Umar radiallahu anhu, he, he realized that you know, we need to expand the masjid. So he, that was one of his projects, the expansion of al-masjid al-nabawi. So the house of al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet وسلم, was attached to the masjid in the same area where Umar radiallahu anhu wanted to do his expansion. So the house was basically in the way of the expansion. So Umar radiallahu he goes to al-Abbas radiallahu anhu and he says, Ya Amma Rasulillah, O uncle of the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, your your house is attached to the masjid and I want to I want to expand the masjid. So let us have your house and you know we will build you a bigger house elsewhere, a house bigger than this house even. But give us the house so we can expand the masjid. And Al Abbas radiallahu anhu said, No, I'm not interested. This is my house, I want to keep my house. Then Umar radiallahu anhu, he says, look, this is for the good of the community, the good of the society. If you're not going to give it to me, then I'm just going to have to take it from you by force. And I'll give you, you know, I'll build you a bigger house elsewhere. 
but I need this land. But Abbas said, no, you can't do that. You don't have a right to do that. This is my property, my personal property. And Al-Abbas said, let's have someone that, that you trust and that I trust that can judge between us in this dispute. So Umar he accepted this, he agreed. He said, okay, who, who do you suggest we go to? And Al-Abbas he said, let's go to Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman was a very trusted companion of the Prophet So Umar agreed to this, he said, yes. I trust the judgment of Hudayfa. Let's go to Hudayfa. So this is the Amir al-Mu'minin. He's the head of state, but he's willing to go to Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman, you know, and get his, you know, let him be the judge in this dispute. He's not trying to use his power and say, no, I'm Amir al-Mu'minin. I'll do whatever I want. No. He says, okay, let's go to Hudayfa and I will accept whatever he says. So they get, go to Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman an, and they explain the situation. Umar an, explains why he wants to take it. I'm not just taking it for personal purposes. I'm, I'm trying to expand the masjid for the people. So then Hudayfa radiallahu anhu, he said, okay, you know, regarding this, I know something. I heard that Dawood alayhi salam, the Prophet Dawood alayhi salam, when he wanted to expand Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa in Al-Quds, there was a time that he wanted to expand Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, and there was a house of an orphan that was in the way of that expansion. An orphan child owned some property there. So Dawood went to that orphan child and said, you know, I, I, I need to buy this property from you. I'll pay you for it. But I needed to expand the masjid. And the orphan boy, he refused. So Dawood and he's a king, right? He's a prophet and a king as well. So he considers taking it by force because, you know, he thinks he's doing it for, for, for a good purpose, to expand the house of Allah. So he considered taking that orphan's house, his property by force. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Dawood alayhi salam, inna anzahal buyuti anil dhulmi lahu bayti. That the house that is farthest away from any type of injustice or oppression, it's my house. There cannot be any oppression or injustice to anyone involved in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then Dawood alayhi salam, he said, okay, I'm not going to do it. So he did not take the property of that orphan and he left that house alone. So after hearing Hudayfa bin Yaman mention this, it's very clear that this is the exact same situation that Umar ibn al-Khattab was in with Al-Abbas. So then Al-Abbas, after hearing this, he turns to Umar and he says, now tell me, you still want to take my house after hearing this? You still want to take my house? And Umar very humbly, he says, no, no, forget it. I don't want to take it. So then Al-Abbas, after that, he says, okay, now I give it to you to expand the Masjid of Rasulullah. You can take it, right? He gives it to him then, finally. But he just wanted to basically prove a point here. And that's what he did. So then Umar ibn al-Khattab, he built a bigger house for Al-Abbas in another part of Medina, and he expanded the Masjid of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa In addition to expanding Al-Masjid al-Nabawi in Medina, he also expanded Al-Masjid al-Haram in Mecca. Up to that time, the Kaaba in Mecca, it did not have any gate surrounding it. There was no like masjid, no structure of a masjid around it. It was just the Kaaba and some open land and then there were houses around the Kaaba without any structure surrounding the Kaaba. So Umar radiallahu an, he bought all of those houses in proximity of the Kaaba. He purchased all of those houses and he demolished them to expand 
Al-Masjid Al-Haram to make that all an area of prayer. He demolished those houses and he ordered for a gate or a, a short wall to be constructed around that whole area. Right? So now it's the Kaaba and the area around it is, is open for prayer and then there is a, a, a circular wall surrounding it. And he put lanterns, lights on top of that wall to illuminate it. This was his expansion of Al-Masjid Al-Haram in Mecca. And he is also the first one, Umar radiallahu is also the first one who covered the Kaaba with the Qibati, Egyptian cloth. It's a very good quality Egyptian fabric. Before that, during the time of the Prophet and the time of Abu Bakr radiallahu they used to cover the Kaaba with Yemeni cloth. That's where they used to get the fabrics, Yemeni cloth. But Umar radiallahu you know, he, he, he was able to conquer Persia and Egypt as well. And Egypt has very fine fabrics as well. So there's this Qibati Egyptian cloth of very premium quality. He used that to cover the Kaaba. So it was a white cloth actually, white Egyptian cloth. So now, you know, in our times, we're always used to see the Kaaba covered in black only. In our lifetimes, we've only seen it covered in black. But it has been covered with different colors over the time of history. And during the time of Umar, Umar bin al-Khattab, it was actually covered with a white clothing, a white piece of, of, of uh, fabric. The kiswa was white during the time of Umar bin al-Khattab. So see, he, he gave a lot of importance to these, these social projects as well, taking care of the needs of the society, making sure that they have enough space to come to the masjid and to pray comfortably. He took care of all of these, these matters. So taking care of internal matters and taking care of external matters of conquest and war. He had all of this on his plate, but he made sure that he did whatever he could to fulfill the responsibilities that were upon him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with Umar ibn al-Khattab and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to learn from his beautiful example. Inshallah, next week we will continue with the seerah of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu bi-idhnillah. Barakallahu feekum. Wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'ina.